Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. And a very warm welcome back to Solidarity Breakfast. A left response to the major developments in capitalism. What they trade in is not weak. They trade in This week's dose of revolutionary optimism. I think it's really important to sort of express solidarity globally. It really is a deal by Four corporations. If you think the ABC's left wing, don't listen to this program. Solidarity Breakfast, 7.30 to 9am Saturdays, 3CR, 8.55am, streaming and 3CR digital, podcast or audio on demand. And of course, the website, solidaritybreakfast.org.au. Solidarity forever! Oh, a great deal of difficulty getting everything to shut up. Except for me. (laughs) Here we go. This is Solidarity Breakfast with Annie. And uh, despite the little hiccup at the beginning of the show, everything will go beautifully and smoothly on this nice spring day. The uh, public housing group, uh, uh, public housing uh, demonstrations, there were community, uh, there was a community meeting at Grom Place on Wednesday, 30th of August. It was put together by the uh, Socialist Alliance, sponsored by Moreland Councillor Sue Bolton. And many people came out to have a chat about uh, their experiences on the uh, the public housing estates that are being earmarked for, what do they call it? Urban renewal. The uh, government in Victoria has decided that uh, 11 estates are in a poorless state and that we've got to make a public-private partnership deal to get developers to do a clean sweep. And, of course, that leaves public housing tenants in an invidious position. It also gives a whole lot of public land and assets to private hands. It's a problem. It's a definite problem. It's not a solution. And so we're going to uh, listen to some of the responses that were collected from that meeting by Kelly Whitmore, who's one of the uh, people who put together Ruminations, which is the only program in Australia that actually brings the voices of the homeless and uh, the to the air and is made by people who have been homeless. Uh, Kelly... Uh, and the Ruminations team have their program on it Thursday at 12 uh, p.m. Uh, at noon, if you want to listen in. But today we're going to take some of their material because it's so pertinent and live. Great stuff, Kelly. Uh, later on, we're going to see if we can find out about the Peter Norman Commemoration Committee. It's coming up. Peter Norman, of course, was the man who stood in solidarity with uh, the uh, at the Mexican Olympics uh, in uh, 1968 when uh, the Black Panther salute brought the house down. And uh, as uh, the two black uh, competitors for the uh, 200 metres uh, put their hands up in the black power salute, saying squarely that uh, 
politics and sport certainly do go hand in hand. And uh, the Peter Norman, the Australian who came second, surprised them all and stood there in solidarity with them. And then, of course, his entire athletic career went, did a nosedive. Now, he, his, uh, his classic quote is, I will stand with you. He was a man, well, principal, and uh, the Peter Norman Commemoration Committee are calling for an interactive monument for our local man, Coburg Man, was uh, Peter Norman, a man of principle. Uh, we're going to then go to This Is The Week That Was, and uh, following that, we've got... Humphrey. Humphrey is going to uh, tell us all about uh, uh, the publication of the first book of Das Kapital, the great work of, of course, the great man Karl Marx, why it's so important and uh, how hard it was for a, a man who was a visionary to get his work out there. Hi, I'm Hannah Smiley from WA. When I'm in Melbourne, I listen to 3CR 855 AM Community Radio. You can listen on your digital radio or stream it live and subscribe at 3cr.org.au. Before we uh, go on to our first excerpt from the uh, public housing, say public housing meeting at Crom Place Community Meeting, which was... uh, held on the 30th of August, uh, you might put want to go think about later on going to uh, let them stay, make them welcome, bring them here. Refugee supporters will hold a protest against recent moves by the coalition government to cut all government support for around 100 refugees bought from Manus and Nauru for medical treatment. The refugees will be evicted from their homes and left, left without income. The rally is at 12 noon today. Parliament House, corner of Spring and Burke Street, Melbourne. Of course, it's not the Victorian Labor government that's behind this. This is all done in the name of Liberal National Party politics. Okay, uh, let's uh, go to a Grom Community Hall to hear what some of the uh, public housing people have to say about the great plan to kick them out of their homes. I've been here for 30 years. At Grom Place, I've spoken to a lot of people. We have a lot of friends. We don't really care about age, race or anything else. We all live and look after ourselves. This is our home. It's not called a home, it's called a castle. We do not want to leave this place here. As far as I know, I spoke to a lot of people. I'm very grateful for what this lady has said and to everyone else who's stuck by us. So let's hope and pray, and Fiona's doing a marvellous job, and all the other staff, Sue and everyone else, or, you know, you can do it for us, I'll be most grateful for whatever we can do, and when the questions come, don't be frightened to say anything, speak your mind, but then we'll know for sure what's going to happen. I am uh, a solicitor working at uh, Fitzroy Legal Service, I'm also at Flemington Kensington Community Legal Service, I'm quite busy at the moment between those two practices uh, and um, uh, we've um, uh, been doing quite a bit of work at Fitzroy, at least. Uh, people may have heard about the, uh, the fire that occurred in the in the uh, high-rise building at Napier Street, uh, level 6th, 6th floor. Uh, there was a fire in a common area 
Uh, it was an um, incredibly scary event. It happened one month before the Grenfell fires. Uh, and um, it, to be honest, uh, if, if things had been a little bit different and perhaps the material on the building had been the same as what they had in the UK, and I know there's a, that, there, that cladding exists on buildings in Victoria, um, that could have been an absolutely horrendous outcome. It was bad enough. Uh, quite a few people were injured. And uh, there are ongoing uh, legal matters arising out of that. And uh, to my knowledge, the uh, causes of that fire, or at least the, the safety mechanisms that should have prevented it spreading and creating such a problem for people, are still yet to be rectified. There's been uh, reports from the MFB that something needs to be done. You might have seen stories in the Herald Sun um, that, that followed, this, followed this issue for a while. Um, you know, as, as far as I know, these, these issues haven't been fixed yet. Uh, and that seems to me, uh, from my work in community law, um, to over and over again be the sort of stories you hear from people in public housing. Uh, you know, there are terrible situations that um, happen uh, very regularly. Um, people raise issues about it and, and, and on and on go, um, you know, the failings of the, the public housing system to fix those, to fix those issues and address um, these problems. And, and the whole sector, as I can see, uh, has been uh, left, uh, you know, to decline the standards, the, the repairs that should have happened, you know, not to mention the fact that everyone's been paying, you know, for, for, their, um, for, for their rent, you know, they've been paying to live in these places. You know, where's the upkeep, where's the return of that investment? back into those houses. It's an absolute outrage. It's reached a point it has got to. Surely there will be people who will be desperate to be in better residences and, and, and no doubt tempted by the offers that are on the table. Um, and, and, and that's hardly a surprise, uh, given the palace state, that, that you know, both sides of um, uh, Victorian you know, major parties have, have left uh, public housing in over so many years. Uh, at the moment, what we are looking at at, at Fitzroy um, are the needs uh, that um, people have across, uh, you know, these various estates that are um, that, that, that seem to be uh, on the chopping block. Um, we uh, need to um, find uh, a, a um, I guess, uh, a, a, a system that can assist people in, in trying to get information about what their rights are in relation to um, the, the tendencies that they currently have. Um, we want to ensure uh, that people uh, have an opportunity to you know, discuss those rights, to understand what they're being offered, um, to ensure that, you know, that, that, that there's at least some provision of advice and assistance in that process that, that seems to be um, not being, uh, well, at least from what we've heard, not, not being provided by the consultations people are having uh, with government so far. Uh, the whole process seems to be quite rushed. Uh, from our own perspective, we found out that there was a, a deadline uh, in relation to Northcote and a number of the other estates in terms of submissions about those, those projects. Um, I think closing today, 30th of August, we contacted the government to find out whether we could get some extra time. We were told it would need to be in tomorrow at the latest. Um, so, no, fantastic. In relation to an inquiry into police uh, misconduct and investigations, we got a month um, at the click of a finger. We didn't even need to give, a, give a, you know, any significant reasons for that. So I think that you know, the difference in the response might indicate just how, how um, this is being rushed along. Um, it's quite a, and that's quite a concerning matter. And, you know, as a lawyer, you know, I know that um, in those circumstances is one of the things that points uh, to people being effectively coerced into having uh, made a decision without being fully informed of their rights. Uh, but that's just one issue. Um, we, we want to look at um, how the uh, community legal sector, so not just uh, Fitzroy and, and Flemington Kensington, but other community legal services that have a long history of supporting people in these communities and um, you know, there's a, there's a number of other centres um, that are closely located to, to, to other estates on these lists. 
um, we want to bring them in and integrate them into a bit of a combined um, project to ensure people are getting as much information as they can and are fully informed. But we also want to find out what people are experiencing, you know, not just what's written um, on the documents, but what their interactions have been like uh, with people from the housing agencies or from the department. Um, we want to know exactly what people are being told and, and the kind of process that they're going through. Uh, and, uh, you know, we've, uh, we're building a team to have a bit of a look at um, issues arising uh, uh, in relation to uh, people's rights. There is a large variety of rights that people have, both um, associated with their, um, their contracts, their, their tenancies. There are rights that Victorians have under the Human Rights Charter that applies in Victoria. Um, and we're going to look very carefully at how these um, proposals uh, sit um, next to those rights. Are they, um, are they in conflict with any of these fundamental rights? You know, uh, we want to look at the housing that's being proposed, whether it's going to be suitable for the kind of families and communities that have dealt, developed in these places. Um, whilst we've seen uh, the uh, standard of houses uh, in decline in public housing, we've also seen public health in decline. We've seen massive attacks to unemployment benefits and, and matters like that, and, and we've seen communities that have become increasingly vulnerable and in that state of vulnerability have turned to each other, um, and it's a real testament to that, you know, what, uh, what communities do. Um, people are looking after each other, and, and you know, what is going to be the... Uh, the, the impact of separating those communities. You know, perhaps government doesn't recognise the broader concept of a family, uh, the kind of families that people have developed within these, within these estates. Um, and we want to ensure that those uh, people who rely on those networks are going to be protected um, and are going to have an opportunity, uh, in my opinion, look, obviously it's up to the people to um, be uh, directing this campaign, but people should have a right to be coming back with the same tenure to those uh, to those places that they've been in, yes, these places need to be you know improved. Conditions need to be uh, lifted up. At, you know, many places haven't had much done over you know 30 or 40 years, um, but uh, they need to be suitable for the families that have, that have been in those community in those areas. They need to be coming back to something that's uh, as as good as um, and hopefully better uh, than beforehand. Uh, and and those should be the bare minimums, in my opinion. Um, so we're hoping to, you know, assist communities uh, with that process. I think one of the things which is very clear is the government's being very vague about a lot of the promises. Um, and I think um, different people are being told different things. That's certainly come across when we've been talking to people on Grand Place Estate. Um, and there seems to be very little in the way of real commitment, uh, but a lot of very vague promises. Um, and certainly we're worried about, you know, if people are pushed out, you know, they don't obviously have enough um, public housing to put people in, two and a half thousand people or however many it is from all of the estates. Uh, so some will go into private rental, which the government will subsidise. How long is the government prepared to subsidise that private rental and will people fall out of public housing at the end of that process? Um, so there's a, whole, there's a whole lot of questions um, that I know Matt and the lawyers are trying to work out, tenants are trying to work out, everyone's trying to work out. And here tonight we've got people who've, you know, really made up their mind. They're not going to go. 
and there are other people who are unsure, they don't want to go, but they're not sure, and other people who might just be, um, you know, you know uh, might think, well, they've got to go along with the government. So I'd encourage um, everyone to say what you feel and ask any questions. Um, it is also possible, though, to consider resistance because certainly in Atherton Gardens a few years ago, in 2013, when there was a plan to take all the open space at the um, Atherton Gardens estate and to build housing, private housing on, there was a big campaign by the tenants and supporters. Um, Neighbours around the area, other progressive-minded people who supported public housing, and because a big campaign set up, then also they managed to get support from the unions, from the construction unions. Um, and, you know, it's, and they basically won. The government had to back off. Um, the government had to back off their plan. Um, and we've seen other examples where governments have backed off plans and the East-West Link was one that some of us here were involved with. So it is possible. You can never guarantee that you're going to win. But you do know that if you don't try and campaign and don't try and oppose what the government's doing, we're going to lose if we don't do anything. So that means if people really want to save their communities, we need to band together and unite and work out the best plan we possibly can and then we've got a shot at winning. Um, so basically that's how we've got to really need to approach this. Now, we're listening to, on Solidarity Breakfast, we're listening to a Save Public Housing Grom Place community meeting. Now, of course, the people we've just been hearing, uh, first off we heard who were a resident, but then we moved on to hearing from Matt Wilson from the Fitzroy Community Legal Centre. And uh, the last speaker there was uh, Sue Bolton, who's a Moreland councillor. Now, uh, this meeting was auspiced by the Socialist Alliance uh, and uh, sponsored by Sue Bolton, the Moreland councillor. Uh, we're going to go on to hear some more voices from people who are actually affected. And this is uh, what's so uh, chilling about this whole affair. The, we're hearing about how residents who have lived in these places, these are their homes, are being told that they just have to move on because the government's got a new plan where there's going to be a whole lot of private ownership and the developers are going to shoulder the costs and all the rest of it and it's a great, happy, new, great, great new world. However, of course, this means that a whole lot of public land, public assets are going into private hands and public tenants are being siphoned off into a private rental market, which is beyond belief. People cannot afford private rents these days because of the outlandish greed and the lack of regulation. Anyway, we'll go on and hear what these people had to say. I'm Anne from the Clifton Hill Estate. My impression where, where I live is... Um, People think the um, Office of Housing people who speak to us at the meetings are just so nice, we'll trust them. And I think also a lot of people are very scared to um, form any sort of resistance because um, if them, we might be um, penalised in some way. And my question is, if some of us refuse to sign the form which we don't even know exactly what it's about, will we be um, penalised if most of the estate do sign the form? 
So if, if just few of us do not sign the form, but the rest of the estate do sign the form, where do those of us who won't sign it stand? Unfortunately, I don't have a clear answer for you, and, and this really comes from the fact that it's very, as far as the information we've been able to obtain about the whole process at this stage, is pretty minimal. Um, so, I, you know, I think that we need to draw the government and the office housing out and find out what the position is for people who aren't, you know, uh, prepared at this point, don't feel they've been sufficiently advised, you know, to make that decision, and even if they decide against it on the basis of that information, what's likely to happen? Um, you know, it, it, I think people have the right to know. Um, the, the small amount of information I've seen, just a fact sheet, you know, says in dot points right at the top, you'll have a right to return um, to, you know, to the estate that you, you've, um, you know, you, you, you've, you've uh, had to uh, relocate from. Um, but you know, that's a that's a very uh, broad and and, and, and there's not uh, not particularly s specific uh, information about how that's going to occur and what about people who you know may may choose not to. I think though um, the fear that some people have, um, that's an understandable fear. It's the sort of fear that you have in a workplace when you're deciding whether you should go out on strike, you know, and what happens if there's going to be some scabs who are going to keep the, the workplace going while we're out on strike and that we're not going to have, you know, we're not going to be earning a wage and that might break the resistance of, of, the, of the workforce together. So, you know, there's, only, there's a pretty straightforward principle in that. United we stand. And, you know, the, the more people, the better uh, in this campaign. And I think one of the really um, important factors will be hard to get, you know, unity um, in, in each housing estate. But with, you know, people united across all of the estates, um, you know, even if that's a small percentage of, of, um, of, of people in certain specific estates, they can rely on the solidarity of public housing tenants in other places. And that's what's so critical about building this network. And it's great that you're here from another estate tonight. Martin Foley's saying that all of these estates need to be demolished and bulldozed because they're in such terrible condition. Now, we know for a fact that Noon Street was recently completely renovated. There is absolutely no logical reason to destroy Noon Street estate. And that is the sort of facts that need to come out. We can also look at Ascot Vale. There is much of Ascot Vale was completely renovated in the last five years. The, the tenants were taken out. It was renovated, you know, from the ground up. Millions and millions of dollars have been put into some of these estates. So, of course, this is a political campaign and we have to actually um, approach it from all different angles. And one of the things that we really do need to do is to get some of these stories out that show that... Martin Foley is saying that he, you know, he's doing the right thing. He's, you know, the spin is that you know it's, it's all good for public housing, but in fact, it's destroying perfectly good properties, wonderful communities. It's putting vulnerable people at risk, and the government knows this because there has been um, research done on it. So this is a human rights issue. And the fact that they've, they've got all these technical submissions, we need to complain about that too because they know very well that lay people, they're expecting lay people to know all these technical terms. It's rubbish. So I see this, the way the government is, is trying to get attack 11 estates and privatise them and the way it's trying to push so many people out before the end of this year, this is definitely a human rights issue. 
And it's something that I'm sure if the general public knew more about it and if the newspapers reported it properly, you would find that the general public would be appalled at what this government's doing to people. Hello, yes, I'm Louise. I'm in, live in public housing at the moment. Uh, I'm not being affected by this herbal renewal at this stage. Uh, what I want to say, and I said this at the previous meeting, is that uh, one of my sisters was living at Millers Point in Sydney and she was evicted along with everybody else. Now, a big struggle went on there for a couple of years and the reason I bring it up now is that people have mentioned the government and the government coming along with pieces of paper and smiles on their face. What happens is they tell lie after lie. The minute people give up their place in public housing, it's you're heading down the road of homelessness for numbers of reasons. Uh, number one, in Millers Point, to get them out, they offered them the world. Not telling them that they were finding them alternative accommodation by throwing those tenants out. The same pretext they said to existing tenants, oh, we'll, you'll only be out for three months and we'll fix the place up. In the meantime, they brought in people from Millers Point. Now, she lived in Millers Point for nearly 30 years. When the government said they wanted to renew Miller's Point, they said the main reason is that it was costing too much in maintenance. I can tell you right now, they spent nothing on maintenance. People had to paint their own places. People had to replace their own stoves. The government spent nothing. It was a land grab. They wanted to cash out. Those places went for millions of dollars. Now, unfortunately for Miller's Point, where they live, Location, location, location. Here in Melbourne, oh, and I mentioned in Sydney, Sirius, Sirius is a building that Gough Whitlam, when he was Prime Minister, put aside for public housing. Senior public housing gets right there at Circular Quay. There's a big struggle going on at the moment to actually keep that. The developers want, want it, they want to demolish it. And there's a big struggle going on because people believe in public housing. Now, there's two reasons why people live in public housing. One is they choose to because of their community. Secondly, they can't afford any other accommodation, either temporary, temporarily or permanently. There has to be a place in our society for people who can't afford to buy or pay high rents. Everybody is a citizen. Now, I've been speaking to people about this issue and they say, oh, what's the government doing? Oh, where's Grand Place? We definitely have to get the word out there at what the government's doing and expose their solutions. <coughs> and it concerns me too what's happening with families. Where are they going to go? There were families living up there in Millers Point and in the end the government said we don't have any three bedrooms and then we don't have any two bedrooms. Well, what's a family supposed to do? Throw their teenagers out in the street? No. This is the sort of thing that's going on. Now, there's no reason for this. Um, it is simply greed and a land grab. And it's also tactics. They'll look at how strong people are, how solid people are about this. And if they think they can come in and get away with it, they will. Now, I have a very good feeling that people are going to stand on this because we're at a stage where people know economically things are not good. Not so good for the adults, not so good for the children. So 
people now have to hang on to what they've got and not take the word of the government that they're going to do the right thing by you. Yeah, Sean Solidarity Breakfast with Annie and we're at a public me housing meeting, Save Public Housing Grand Place Community Meeting. This was in Brunswick and it was uh, on Wednesday. People are being activated because the, of the government's plan to uh, do a public-private, more likely a private-public uh a relationship in regards to getting rid of 11 public housing estates, giving some over to public housing and then a certain amount of proportion of it to private uh, uh, private rental or ownership. Now, this is actually a uh, – it's not a solution – it's actually a land grab, as being described by the people who are, are at this public meeting, as they decide how they're going to move forward as the government shimmies people along to sign papers so that they can get them out, so they can get on with their uh, multi-million dollar uh, project. Now, it might all sound good in the uh, salubrious uh, offices up at uh, Parliament, but uh, and even in the pokey holes in Parliament, but it's certainly no good for people who have been living in these places, their homes, for decades, and also people who have finally found a home because they've been homeless. We'll finish off with the last piece that Kelly Whitman has uh, Whitmore has given us from Ruminations. As I said, Ruminations brings uh, the voices of the homeless and uh, is made by people who have been homeless. It's on Thursday at 12 uh, on 3CR, your great community radio station. People might also, as part of this discussion, want to say what they've been told by, Department of, by the um, Department of Housing because our impression is they're telling lots of different people different things. But we do know, what we do know is that currently Grand Place is mostly three-bedroom units and they'll be replaced by one- and two-bedroom units, which means families like Maimuns um, are going to be displaced. Um, so, you know, that there are many families in Grand Place and people look after each other's kids. Um, it's a much better system than you know, paying for childcare and so forth. So, you know, this, this means that this commitment to say, oh, people will be allowed to return, it's got a question mark which they don't explain is if you're still eligible, which means that if you've um, got kids, you won't be eligible unless you've only got one child. Um, so there's already a problem there with people being able to return. I went to the meeting a couple of weeks ago and the gentleman there spoke to us and said there's about 1,500 places, that's all they had. And when I looked at the map, what's going, where are they going to house all the other people? Mm. There is nothing to... They did say they would, were going to give... Where are we going to go? They said we could come back to the units that they're doing on our block of land, which is in Clifton Hill. And I thought... It's going to be small when you put your, would be able to put the furniture in. Well, furniture's nothing, but about your family. I have a son that lives at home with me and my husband. And what if he's not a... We're only given one bedroom or maybe two bedrooms with him there. 
Oh, they said it's all right. We've got plenty of places for everybody. 1,500 places and a map that's taking maybe thousands of homes. No, I failed to see where the joke is there. <laughs> no, and what happens if they change government? If they get halfway through this and then all of a sudden we get a, a new stream of government in. Because I've been on some committees when governments come in and overturned the ruling we've had to stop something going on. So, will they stop it or whatever? But the only way you can deal with this is fight for it. You've got to keep fighting until you can, everyone. Because everyone needs a home, everyone needs somewhere to live. And not many of us can afford private rental. Not any of us. Hi, I come again. Um, I would like to know, um, ask a question for the government. I've got two questions tonight. The first question is when the um, Housing Commission Department, they come to Grombles in this um, meeting where we are now. The first question I asked them was, um, if am I going to come back? Because I don't want to stay away from Brunswick, Grombles. I want to come back. And they say, yes, 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 you can come back. Yeah. I say to them, um, I'm eligible for four-bedroom four because now I'm three-bedroom and I've got five children plus me, we are six. And they said, yes, you're going to have four-bedroom in Grombles. I said, how? In the map, you state everything. It's going to be two-bedroom, one-bedroom, and three-bedroom, you say. There's no four-bedroom four in this paper. How am I going to have four bedrooms? And they said, it's okay. We're going to um, put two bedrooms together and close one door and you can use the other, other door so you can have four bedrooms in those two bedrooms. They're going to put together. I don't know, somehow. They're going to break the middle of the, of the wall and it's going to be four bedrooms. Are you sure? They said, yes, we are sure, 100%. You're going to have four bedrooms. Don't worry about that. I say, okay, but at, at my experience after day by day, this is a lie. They're not telling me the truth. They're just telling me a lie. When I move, there's no chance to come back for four bedroom or three bedroom even. That's the first thing, question, where they give me a lie, which is not good for me and for my kids and my, for my community in Grombles. The other question I'm gonna ask government is, when I come to Australia, I was a refugee from my country. But now I'm not a refugee. I'm Australian citizen. I have got rights. And everybody has got rights. When I left my country, I left as a civil war. I, I, I lost my some of my family, all my friends, all my neighbor, all my teachers, all my doctors. Almost all, everything, I lost it. I walk away with my mother and some of my family and my, and my own feet. Okay, I come to Kenya. Thanks to God, Australia, they offered me to come to Australia. They told me I'm gonna have good life. I'm gonna rebuild my life. It's gonna be beautiful life. I say, okay, I was very happy. I come to Australia, I live peace, beautiful. I had friend again. I had family who is here tonight. I have got community who is here tonight. I didn't lose my community. 
I had another community, which is my community, from different co company. So if they put me different suburb and they put them different suburb, I lost everything. I'm going to go back 20 years ago where I was. So that's the second lie the government tell us. And I'm not happy. And every night we sleep stress. To be honest, if we tell you the truth, we don't sleep happily. Since they tell us they're going to do this, to be honest, I swear to God, we don't live happily. We don't sleep happily. We're thinking every time. We're going to say, what's going to happen? Every time we come in the morning and we see each other, I'm thinking, am I going to see this face later on, years and years? Or am I going to lost like Somalia, how I lost my others? And it's going to be lost, yes. If I'm going to be Dandenon and they are going to be, um, well, Bramidos, we're going to be lost each other. We're not going to see in a shopping. We're not going to see in a festival. Anywhere. We, we cannot see because we are very far distance. So that's the two lie things they're tell, telling us, the government. And we are not happy. And there's a lot of um, grumblers who's feeling the same what I'm feeling. So thank you very much. My name is Anna Ahmed. I live in Grand Place. I have a children. I'm single mom. I'm not, I'm not happy, please, because I'm not working. And I'm not driver car. I'm transport. I have a six children. I live eight years Grand Place. My children to high school. I'm primary six children. And I need please help, please. My, I'm my family. No, yeah, my family Africa. I have a lot of community for help for me. Thanks very much. Yeah. Housing is liar. It's liar. Too much. It's no housing is I'm not happy. Housing always is he said I give for a bedroom. You come back, it's liar, 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 too much. Everybody not come back, maybe I don't know. Yes. Yeah, again I I have a, my children is not happy yes. because move. I'm worried because transport, maybe in which area I live, because please, I need no move, God bless. I'm not to move, God bless. I need. I reckon before we all leave here tonight, we all sign our name and put a big no beside it, and then make sure that someone can get it. I've tried to get hold of Neil Mitchell. It's like, yeah. if I'm going to dead horse getting them kind of people, yeah. Darren Hinch is just the same. They promised me they'd come, and no, one, no one's coming to help us. And this is ridiculous. There's nothing wrong with wrong place as far as I'm concerned. And as I said, I've been here 30 years. You know? And the people here are so nice. I don't care if they're black, pink or brinkle, whatever, you know. When it comes to say, if, they, if you can't say hello to your, follow, your, your fellow friends, there's something wrong with the place. And all they want to do is chuck us out to lie in their pockets. And as far as I'm concerned, they'll have to get me with a pair of chains because I'm not going anywhere. Yes. That's it. Yes, yes, yes.
You're on 3CR with Annie on Solidarity Breakfast and we've just been listening to an impassioned group of people at the Save Public Housing Grom Place Community Meeting which was held on Wednesday 30th of August at uh, the uh, Senior Citizens Centre in Peacock Street in Brunswick and they're not happy. Uh, they don't think that uh, Martin uh, Foley's or the Victorian government's solution to uh, public housing is a solution and uh, being hurried along to sign papers so that, uh, as the man sa- said, the, uh, they can line their pockets is no answer. They, they have to pull up their socks and do what governments are supposed to do, which is govern for all the people, not just for a fringe of fat cats. Uh, You're on Solidarity Breakfast with Annie, and I've got a variety of things to tell you about. Uh, The most important, I probably, because it's pending, is at 12 uh, today, there's going to be a... a show of solidarity for uh, refugees who uh, are going to have all supports taken from them by the government, federal government, 100 refugees bought from uh, Manus and Nauru for medical treatment are going to get all government support taken from them. The refugees will be evicted from their homes and left without income. So there's going to be a a show of support for these people today at 12 noon uh, at the steps of Parliament House in Victoria. We're in Melbourne. This is where this program comes from. Uh, Corner, I'm sure there's other uh, places uh, and other parts of Australia that are showing support for these people as well. Spring and Burke Street, Melbourne, 12. If you want to show support, let them stay, make them welcome, bring them here. Uh, there are other things, public housing, that can be uh, what you show your support for public housing. Defend and extend public housing, public rally is going to be on on Wednesday, the 6th of September, also at uh, Parliament uh, at 12 and it goes to 2. Uh, this is an ongoing campaign to uh, ensure that the Victorian Parliament can't pretend that this is an important issue that uh, is on the radar of Victorian people, that uh, there are people out here, here who are not happy that public assets are being handed over to the private developers and that there is no, this is not a solution. The uh, returns from these public-private partnerships have been shown to fall heavily on public resources and uh, line the pockets of private developers. Not a good deal. Interestingly enough, the next day, September the 7th, is Threatened Species Day and uh, the bush is coming to Parliament House steps. Goongwa Environment Centre, way up for in Gippsland, has been doing all this magnificent work defending the forests up there and exposing the uh, corrupt dealings when it comes to looking after the forests up there. It seems like a very faraway place. But anyway, the Goongara Environment Centre and the Friends of the Earth Melbourne are hosting a Threatened Species Day uh, demonstration at the, on the steps of uh, Parliament. It's... Uh, uh, what is, what's the time? Yeah, 6.30, uh, no, 5.30 to 6.30. So after work, if you're a worker, and uh, for all others, come along, Threatened Species Day, uh, a time to uh, call a halt to the end of the world as we know it, <laughs> really. Um, the uh, 
There are other things going on which you should put on your diary, but uh, I don't need to tell you about it. The Independent and Peaceful Australia Network presents War, Peace and Independence. Keep Australia out of US wars. Amidst an escalating threat of another major war breaking out, this timely conference will be held in Melbourne from the 8th to the 10th of September. The conference will address the struggle against US bases, drone warfare, peace as union business, US political and military influence and much more. For details and bookings, head to ipan.org.au or go to the Independent and Peaceful Australia Network's Facebook page, a 3CR supporter. United Struggle Project presents a preview of The Change, revolutionary hip-hop theatre coming at you. Showcasing artists from the project, from the West Papua Black Orchid String Band, Black Sisters, Lady Lash, Combat Wombat, Race Rage, Soma, Vocal Boogie, Viv and Robbie, and a load of other amazing talent and yummy West Papuan food. $5 suggested donation, no one turned away. At the factory in Richmond on the 2nd of September, 6pm. Hey all you mob, get on down to the factory and be a part of the change. And of course the last most important perhaps for 3CR is that there's going to be a film fundraiser Billie Jean King's 1973 victory over Bobby Riggs in the infamous tennis match Battle of the Sexes has been has made it to the silver screen it stars uh uh, Steve Carell as the obnoxious Bobby Riggs and uh, uh, Emma Stone as the fantastic Billie Jean King. Anyway, Thursday the 5th of October, 6.30pm, there's going to be a screening. It's a, uh, Because it's a uh, Support 3CR screening, it's $25 full price and $20 concession. Where can you buy those tickets? You can buy them directly from the station. You can phone uh, 03-9419-8377 during business hours. That number, 9419-8377 during business hours. Uh, or you can go online to 3cr.org.au. Uh, it's going to be at the Palace Westgar Cinemas, 89 High Street, Northcote, and that date again, October the 5th at 6.30pm. And uh, I was going to have a chat with the, the mighty Joe Toscano about the Peter Norman Commemoration Committee, but it's obviously slipped off his radar. But I'll tell you about it. It's uh, The committee is, uh, because it's coming to the anniversary of uh, Peter Norman's death, do you know who he is? Peter Norman is uh, the great man who stood on the podium with uh, two of his black competitors from America who did the Black Panther salute at the Mexican Olympics in 1968, causing a huge furore. If you want to know more about it, I've been told that there's going to be a screening on NTV uh, on Wednesday at 10 of uh, 10 p.m. of the uh, salute, the film made by Peter Norman's uh, nephew, who uh, did a fantastic documentary about the entire his uh, uh, celebrated uh, relative, 
Uh, it's also going to be repeated on the Thursday at uh, 12.30 uh, for people who did on the same station in TV. They remember the importance of solidarity if nobody else does in the mainstream media. We, of course, at 3CR honour Peter Norman. The the commemoration committee are hoping that uh, our local boy, Coburg man, uh, Peter Norman, can be celebrated uh, to... They want a yearly commemoration on the 9th of October, Peter Norman Day the day of his funeral in 2006, to acknowledge the brave, dignified and moral stand Peter Norman took on the 16th of October 1968 in the struggle for universal human rights. They also wish to campaign for the establishment of a significant interactive monument in the soon-to-be-redeveloped Melbourne City Square to highlight that Melbourne is one of the world's most successful multicultural cities. Now, Peter Norman is actually celebrated in America. He's honoured in a statue celebrating this very important event in uh, at the Olympics uh, where uh, it was brought to the world world's notice that uh, America was not really the home of the free. And uh, it still remains a contentious issue, of course. A weak solidarity, Breggy team listener, when... Remember after we liberated evil Iraq from that damn Hussein and his arsenal of weapons of mass destruction threatening all who love peace across the whole world, particularly the coalition of the killing whole world, how we all celebrated that famous scene of the liberated tearing down the statue of that damn Hussein. A tight shot ensuring we couldn't see the thousands of the liberated we were told were involved. Pity we only saw about a half dozen of these happy free people. And our great coalition of the killing leaders cheered and applauded the tearing down, a symbol of newfound freedom. Like our media and great leaders also so celebrated the tearing down of Lenin's statue in Crimea, for instance. The little bald-headed bloke who used to be Big Supremo back in the dark ages of the coalition of the killing it is important to uh, tear down uh, symbols that uh, remind people uh, of an evil past it it really is and the parliament behind him all nodded agreement so isn't it good that there is a movement to remove the reminders of the evil past experienced by our terra nullius non-people this is a disgrace political correctness gone mad we must respect our history we can't erase history how dare the Terranilius non-people suggest Captain Cook, for example, didn't discover True Blue Aussie? Haven't they read our history books? Talk about historical revisionism. One of the great coincidences in True Blue Aussie history. Imagine how surprised Captain Cook, who discovered this country, must have been pleasantly surprised to navigate a northern river and discover the river, what a coincidence, had the same name as his ship, Endeavour River. The Endeavour River, a great moment in history, yet there are goody-goody black armband revisionists who would want to change the name of the Endeavour River to some unpronounceable surrender to a vocal minority. What evil aberration would drive people to vandalise great monuments when they can express their misplaced misgivings, a rational dissatisfaction, by writing to their local MP and or through the ballot box? 
making the vandalism a further slap in the face to history, to the monumental gift of democracy we bestowed on them. Worse, there are misguided non-Terranulius non-people, here thanks to Arthur Phillip and the original no-proper papers queue-jumping illegal boat people, whose support may even participate in the vandalism of our great historical symbols, the great men who civilised and Christianised this country. Although there are boat people who shouldn't come here who are a threat to civilization and Christianity, introduced species posing a threat to we indigenous whites. And thank goodness we've got the Minister for Concentration Camps, Razor Wire and Sink the Boats, and keeping us secure, Peter Duffer, to put them in their place and introduce species eradication program, destroy their food source, starve them to death, or remove their emaciated bodies to a tropical island where they'll also be an introduced species, but a far, far, far less threatening introduced species among people who are themselves almost Terranullius non-people anyway. Win-win. Socialist Party Supremo and would-be big Supremo little Billy Shorten Ambition introduced a touch of humanity and compassion. This shows how weak Malcolm is. Look, the Socialist Party is as cruel as the caring business class party, but we would show cruelty with compassion. Cruelty with compassion by sending the introduced species to a third place further away. Weak, Malcolm, weak. Oh, it does us good to know there's still compassion out there and such hope for the introduced species. Very chameleon-like, this particular introduced species. A quick look at them, and we would swear they were human beings just like us. How insidious! As we said, thank goodness we've got Peter Duffer protecting us from them. On such matters, real people and chameleon introduce species. Non-real people, yesterday's Lord Rupert of Wapping coverage of two parallel related events captured the difference perfectly with Lord Rupert's normal journalistic responsibility. Four pickies, big story of the Texan hurricane, death toll at least 31 along with massive damage. Then, in brief, just three pars, more than a thousand people killed across India, Bangladesh and Nepal by massive monsoon floods, showing the difference between real people and non-real people, even though both disasters can be related to the massive oil and chemical industries that flourish and are the economic lifeline of Texas and Houston. Captured by the Trublowazi Capitalist Review, whose coverage of the hurricane bemoaned that the poor old big Trublowazi, bloody huge profits, bloody huge polluter BHP, had to cease production. And other oil and chemical giants, ditto. And yesterday, news story and double-page spread covering the economic disaster for the energy industry and likely shortages and cost increases, the impact on the world economy, the great world fossil giants, victims of climate change, poor dears. Without mentioning anything about the ordinary non-boardroom Texas, uh, Texans affected. Oh, and not even a line about the monsoon disaster, but then there's no serious impact on the world economy, and presumably the clothing sweatshops can keep operating. After all, most of the workers are locked in anyway, and if they're spudding, they may as well stay inside and keep themselves busy, as long as the building doesn't burn down or, or collapse. 
In such an uncertain world, I'm pleased to bring us a touch of continuity, of sanity, raise us from the depression that has befallen us, unable to sleep, tossing and turning all night with worry, since the news that a U.S. of the U.N. of the U.S. of the World Tele Network had outsmarted U.S. of Base Lachlan, scion of the U.S. of's Lord Rupert, in taking over our Channel 10. Lockie complaining that media legislation changing the unfair rule that he can't own just everything to allow him to own just everything had been held up by the spoil sports in the Senate. Although I've got a feeling the legislation will eventually get passed with Nick Xenophony et al. coming around as usual. Anyway, our big fear, our very favourite programs might disappear under the new US of owner. Well, great news. Seem certain hits. That's what the Lord Rupert of Wapping Sin called them, hits. Master Chef Australia, have you been paying attention? Hawaii Five-0, Blue Bloods, Undercover Boss, The Bold and the Beautiful, and I'm a celebrity, get me out of here. No, no, that's not me crying for help, listener. It's one of our favourite hits. We'll continue. What a relief. Now we can get to sleep at night again. Seriously, if they are the channel's hits then I think we've fingered why Channel Lockie, Jamie Puker and Gina is a financial disaster. Now, this multi-million postal survey, whose result will not be binding anyway, the consequences could be catastrophic if it goes the wrong way. Vote yes, and every little boy will be going to school in a skirt. And every little girl... Well, they didn't say, but presumably a jockstrap. Perhaps just a jockstrap. Disgusting. Haven't these same-sex marriage advocates got a lot to answer for? And the no-lot know that ultimately they'll have to answer the wallowing in sin advocates to the highest authority of all, the dear baby Jesus. Although he wore a skirt, of course, or, or more a long white dress. Thirty-year-old single man hanging around with twelve blokes in a long white dress? Hmm... But no, 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 the sanctity of marriage between a man and a woman comes from the dear baby. He's the legal precedent for the no case. We asked one of the rational advocates for the no case whether there was any circumstances in which he would say yes to anything, given his campaign on this one, his no boats, no illegal introduced species, no carbon tax, no this, no that, and no longer... Big Supremo, yes, Tiny. Tiny, is there anything you'd uh, say yes to? I'd say yes to another drink. Yes to another little drinky. Oh, well, good to see Tiny has a positive side. And a very positive result. State-caring business class party Supremo and would-be Big Supremo Mafia U Guy, who's making the electorate an offer it can't refuse, said the corruption authority he had referred his lobster with a monster to, well, to which he had to be which he to which he had to be grammatically correct, had cleared him of any misconduct. His interpretation of it saying it had no jurisdiction in the matter, which was a smart move by Mafia U, referring his own case to a body that ruled it had no jurisdiction to look at it anyway. That proves I'm innocent. Mafia U looked very pleased with himself. If you disagree, I'll send my friends around. And I'm sure there's many a defendant who wishes he or she could refer his or her own case to a court which has no jurisdiction to hear it and then declare him or herself not guilty. 
Just not sure in Mafia use case this proves he's absolutely innocent. Finally, see where a copy joint offering help to the unemployed by taking on a bit of free labour under this internship scheme helped a worker by making him work 50-something hours a week for nothing. Great training. What a dedicated, caring employer. After all, the Minister for Caring Business Class Relations, Bacalia Kosh, the workers, ridiculed criticisms that just maybe a free labour scheme may be open to the odd touch of exploitation. So obviously in this case, a caring employer prepared to go just that little bit further to help over and above. And to help even further, caring employers want the no worker can be worse off clause removed so they can help even more workers. They're all heart. Hi, I'm Stuart. Hi, I'm Marita. We are the Orb Weavers, and you're listening to 3CR 855 AM on digital radio. And streaming at 3cr.org.au. And you're on Solidarity Breakfast with Annie and we've got Humphrey McQueen on the line. G'day, Humphrey. Oh, good morning and happy birthday to Das Kapital. That's right. Yay! Uh, sometime in the next week, it made its way from the printers in Leipzig to the publisher in Hamburg. I'm not actually sure which date it managed to arrive. And because uh, but... p- poor old uh, Marx was so poor, he had to rely on Engels for the uh, fee. Well, more than that. I mean, he was relying on Engels for a long time for keep the family going and there was a few months before he finished the manuscript he couldn't even afford to buy any 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 paper to write on um when he needs to take the manuscript to hamburg his clothes are in hock yet again so and of course Isn't that awful? The, being able to, uh, to go so engel sends clothes. him some more money um and he takes the manuscript off to Hamburg and then goes to visit his friends, the Kugelmans, um, and then he makes his way back to England and they work on the manuscript together um, while they're in while he's staying with Engels up in Manchester. But it does roll off sometime in the first week in September eighteen sixty seven. Poor old Engel, uh, poor old Marx. I mean, well, I mean, there wouldn't have been Das Kapital if it weren't for Engels. I mean, you know, I'm a great Engels fan for a whole range of reasons. One, because he's do... a good writer. Well, he's a wonderful writer um, and very good humoured. And you know, I mean, you know, I mean, there's Marx, no money, with these sort of endless carbuncles. Yeah, mm. that, yeah. You know, I looked God, it up I mean, after I read your thing. I looked it up. Ooh. I know, I know, I know. I mean, they're there. Oh God, you know, it doesn't bear thinking. But and no. while he's doing all of this, he's effectively the organising secretary of the International Workingmen's Association. So he's there interpreting the world in capital, changing the world, and bringing the two lines together of interpretation and change. For him and for Engels and for all of us, there should be no real distinction between what it means to interpret and to change. We've got to integrate them, which is why it's so important to get a grasp of what we have been bequeathed by Engels and by Marx in terms of what they can tell us about the nature of the capitalist society and exploitation therein. 
So, you know, I mean, that's what we'll, that we'll get around to talking about. Um, I mean, it's interesting, we'll just have a, a minute or two on the actual history of, the, of, the, of, of Volume 1 itself. My experience as, you know, is that all writers suffer from at least two great delusions. One of them is that when we tell our publisher the date in which we'll submit the manuscript, we do genuinely believe that we will keep to that promise. Marx was two years late mm-hmm. in getting volume one to the publisher. And my experience with writers, including myself, is that that's not too far away from the what you could call average. Um, and he also promised when he delivered volume one that within 12 months he'd deliver volumes two and three. Well, of course, he never delivers volumes two and three. That's another job for Engels after Marx dies to put them into publishing order. Um, so that's the first kind of general delusion that all authors suffer from. The other one, of course, given, as we said, how poor he was, he was hoping that the publication and the translations that he, that he, that he was looking forward to would clear all his debts and he wouldn't be, he wouldn't have to depend on his great friend and comrade any longer. Uh, that, of course, as we know, doesn't really happen either. Um, there's no translation until the Russian about five years later. Then there's a French translation. The English translation is 20 years later. Uh, and in a month's time, I want to talk a bit about the impact that the English translation had within Australia. Right. Because surprisingly, mm-hmm. um, well, I mean, you know, it depends how much history you know, of course, <laughs> how much surprised you are by things, but um, mm-hmm. it has quite an impact here right from the start, from 1887, and on some very surprising people. So mm-hmm. we'll get around okay. to having a look at that. Yeah, good. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, and also, uh, it's uh, incredible, isn't it, uh, the level of... Uh, uh, well, Marx, uh, Das Kapital has changed the world, has changed human thought. But the level of uh, struggle that it took, personal struggle it took, and uh, communal support that it took to make it happen is illuminating in itself. It, 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 it certainly is. Um, and, you know, I mean, it wasn't, you know, I mean, you know, Das Kapital didn't fall out of the sky. You know, no. I mean, Marx started to write about economics when he was 24, when he said he began, he knew nothing about it. You know, he'd done philosophy and, you know, law and things at university. And suddenly, as a journalist, he gets struck with a situation where the local administration has imposed some new rules on the poor people and he has to write about it. And he says, oh, my God, I better find out about this. Um, And he keeps doing so throughout the rest of his life. Um, He gets, and this is another good point to make, it's the reality of the changing nature of the capitalist system. While he works on it from you know from you know say 1843 into the into the late or well, into the mid 1850s, it's really the great economic crisis of 1857 that focuses his mind on it and says this is the most important thing I can do. Uh, a bit like you know well a, you know a bit like the current situation with this ongoing crisis been going on for 10 years now. We shouldn't say crisis, should we? Can't go for 10 years. Um, but, the, but the Great Recession that we're, that we're under 
um, is focusing people's minds on how is it that this system works, why doesn't it work the way that they say it does. So that reality came into the intellectual activities as well. So, And that's a materialist view of the world. You don't just get ideas falling out of the sky at you. So all of that there, and as you say, it has made an enormous, enormous difference, And which is why bourgeois professors continue to tell so many lies about it. Yep, yep. And one of those is the nature of what Marx calls exploitation. And I think that one way to celebrate the um, 150th is for us to spend a bit of time, the, you know, we've got left this morning, looking at what, you know, if you had to pick one core idea that is the great revelation in Volume 1, it is what Marx says about exploitation. Now, Marx, of course, didn't invent the notion that capitalists exploited people. Uh, I mean, that had been around for a very long time, one way or another. What Marx does is to change the definition of what it is to be exploited. And that is a battle. Getting that idea into people is still a very difficult thing to do because it is such a challenge to the way in which we are taught to think, and it's also a terrible challenge to the ruling class if people were to understand, and if I put the point very simply, there can be no such thing as a fair day's pay under the capitalist system. So all the talk from the ACTU and the ALP about during the work choices campaign, all of that, oh, we're sticking up for a fair day's pay. Well, we can understand what they were talking about, but as long as there is capitalism, there cannot be a fair day's pay. Well, it's interesting because it's a slogan that fits in with the idea of common sense, but uh, common sense isn't that common and it's not that sensible. Well, indeed, the whole basis of science, as Marx keeps telling us all the way through, is we have to get beneath appearance and into reality. That's what science always does. I mean, if you relied on common sense, you'd say that the sun had come up this morning. That's right. But it hasn't. It's never come up, and it never, never. will. <laughs> That's and exactly if it did, right. And if it did, we'd be in serious trouble. Trouble, yet. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so as you say, common sense is, in many ways, the great enemy of a scientific understanding of how the world works. Now, what is it? You know, I mean, I just want to say a a tiny bit here. Um, What I'm going to rely on this morning is something I've written for a pamphlet that I think is probably going up online, you know, in a couple of places at the moment. Um, The Surplus Value site will put it up. Um, I've sent it down to you, and if you can find a way of attaching it there. But a couple of months ago... I think because of our continual harping on Solidarity Breakfast about the 150th anniversary coming up, one of our listeners um, contacted me on behalf of the Communist Party of Australia, Marxist-Leninist, and said, said, would you write 5,000 words so we can put out a pamphlet for the 150th anniversary? And what did you do? You wrote 6,000. Well, it's difficult. I mean, that's what I told you about delusions and authors. I mean, I thought I did. I thought I did pretty well to keep it down to six thousand. But you know, and what we did, though, what I said to them, look, I said, look, I'm happy to help, but I've got a couple of basic ideas as to what we should be doing. We're not writing. I'm not interested in writing an essay for a postgraduate audience. You know, there's plenty of that, and we don't need any more. I don't think. What we do need 
is something we can put out to people who don't really read very much. Probably, very often, don't read much beyond the back pages of the tabloids. And we've got to think about what people's comprehension levels are. All the important news is, the sports. Yeah, yeah and you know, but it's, but it's not just the content of it. It's the way, it's the way in which what people read um, has been presented to them. So what I said to them was, look, 5,000 words, yes, that's a good idea. Let's break it up into seven sections and let's apply the basic rule of asking what is the comprehension level. Isn't that what Marx did with his English translation or the French translation? Well, the French translation, (laughs) yes, he did. He did indeed. Into appendices. The French translation, I mean, I I wish somebody would translate the French into English (laughs) um, because it's a much straightforward version. He also took out all that detail he has in the English one and put it up the back in 10 appendices. So you can actually get through it. You can get through what is the core of the argument. Yeah, the main idea. Without having all the evidence from the 1850s and 60s. Which is quite interesting, but it's, you know, I mean, that's the bit that we don't need now. So, what I've done is to write something in which I've used short words, short sentences, uh, laid the sentences out as single paragraphs, and so it's going to look more approachable in terms of the actual comprehension level. Cool. And in, 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 in purely practical terms. However, a couple of people who read the draft for me said, well, I don't think you can do it any, you know, I'm gonna, I mean, we haven't actually simplified the argument in a sense. Well, you won't be able in, to, really. But, well, you know, no. And, but they said the big problem that we face, it's the one we mentioned before, is that common sense gets in the way. Yeah. And that 30 years ago, up to 30 years ago, more people had a general understanding of what Marx was saying. But one of the things that we've lost in what's happened to the left around the world in the last 30... Well, well, parts of the world, anyway, in the last 30 years, is that that general understanding has really slipped away from people. And it's... I mean, you know, know, mean, just give a simple example. Somebody who's a very good trade union leader calls himself a Marxist. When I spoke to him a couple of months ago, he didn't know that it was the 150th anniversary coming up. That's just one tiny, tiny instance of what we've forgotten. But the really big thing is, is in the collective understanding. 30 years ago, a lot of people on the workplace, everywhere, would have understood what Marx meant when he said there's no such thing as a fair day's pay. We really well, we'll, we'll move on to, to exploitation, but, I, 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 but I, what I'll say to people is that I'll put up the address for yep. uh, the website uh, that will hold your essay and yep, it, was right. on, it will be on the podcast listing, okay? Yep. So, okay. Yeah. All right. Now, now tell us about exploitation. The, big, the core of exploitation, you know, from Marx's point of view, is he starts with a simplified model. He says... Workers have only one thing to sell, and that is our capacity to add value. To produce this, it costs us a certain amount. We've got to feed ourselves, house ourselves, get clothes, transport, education. So there is a socially necessary cost to all of us in producing the only commodity we have to sell. And we think that we work so that we can get the money to do that, but that's actually not the reason for why people work. According well, to the no, capitalist. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that, and, and, we, and when we go to the capitalist and we offer 
you know, and I'm being very simple here, we go to the capitalist and we offer our commodity... Our work. Our, well, our capacity to add value. Yeah. Because, I mean, that's really what the capitalist wants to buy. Yeah. Um, and, and it's possible... And Mark says in this simplified model that he has, well, let's begin and say, okay, it costs $100 a day to produce this, this single commodity. Yep. And the boss gives us $100. And you think, okay, that's an equal exchange. Yep. That's what the commodity cost. That's what we're going to get paid. There's no swindle. How can we be exploited? And this is the great thing that Marx is able to reveal throughout Volume 1 of Das Kapital. He's able to reveal how, without being swindled, we are always exploited. And that's the hard thing, I think, first uh, to be able to get across. Partly because while we are being exploited in that scientific sense that Marx puts, as we've just been talking about, um, we're also being swindled. The capitalists does not confine them. The capitalists don't confine themselves to an equal exchange. If they do make an equal exchange, it's because workers have got organised and are able to force them to pay us the full cost of reproducing our labour. What they can never pay us, of course, is the full value that we produce for them. No, because then they wouldn't get a profit. Well. They wouldn't get any surplus value. No. They wouldn't have any surplus. They wouldn't have a commodity bearing that surplus value to put on the market and to, when they've sold it, get some profit back, so they can reinvest on a larger scale, which is what the system's really about. That's right. So that, otherwise, it would be a cooperative. Well, it'd be it'd be some you know it'd be a some kind of pre or post capitalist society. Yeah, where everybody so that, had a right to uh, power in the decision making. Well, and all of the, you know, I mean, in a socialist society, the plan is not that we will hand out to each individual all of the value that we add. In a socialist society, you socialise all that extra value. So you get free transport, you get free yeah. hospitals, you get free education, you get proper housing. You know, all, I mean, in a socialist society, that's where the surplus goes. Yeah, uh, some of it will have to go back into reinvestment and the infrastructure and all those things as well. So, so we are looking forward to a world in which every individual is fully rewarded only for that little bit extra that they have added, um, because it's a, it's a social it's a social process of production. But what Marx is able to show us throughout this, and if you know, and I perhaps should give a couple kind of examples out of the common sense world at the moment. Okay. The Seven Eleven workers. Everybody's jumping up and down, saying they're exploited. They're exploited. You know, even even the minister for for, uh, for you know unemployment or whatever she is, she has to say, "Oh yes, they are being exploited." What this indicates, though, is wrong. Is the notion that exploitation is exceptional? It only happens, according to that view, in cases like the Seven Eleven workers where they presumably aren't being paid even enough to cover 
the most rudimentary costs of reproducing their labour power. So what you're saying is that uh, uh, even even the concept of exploitation has take is taken a step down into the into the flooded watered mire. Uh, yep. Our understanding of exploitation has been altered by capitalism. It's it truly has. What I sometimes been known to refer to as the problem we have, because we're all floating around in a super saturated solution of bourgeois bullshit. <laughs> and that's what we've got to try and keep. You know, that's what we try and keep we our eyes waiters. and our nose above. But it, it's hard work to do it. But even if the point to make is that even if the Seven Eleven workers had got their full award entitlements, even if they'd been paid for the full cost of reproducing their labour power, they would still be exploited. That's the important thing we have to say. We have to, get, have to understand why, even if you get the full award, even if you get equal exchange, exploitation has to happen. That's right. I mean, it isn't a question of happen because you've got nasty employers who, who, you know, who want to go around doing this. No, it's a system. They can only stay in business if the business model, to use their nice phrase, is organised in such a way that this is able to happen. So we could take another comparison example. Yeah. You know, you hear, oh, there's somebody in a clothing factory in Bangladesh who's being paid $2 a day. Is that person being exploited? Well, you'd think $2 a day in Australia. God, surely they're being... Well, they may not be. No, the cost of living, all the rest of it, depends on its relative, right? So yeah. in yeah, our you know, terms... I mean, it, I mean, it may be that this person is able, yeah. with the $2, to get all the things that she needs to reproduce her labour power. She may or may not, her, yeah. Her, her, you know, and, and, and if she does... If, if $2 is enough to cover all of that, then she's not being swindled. She is, however, still being exploited. exploited yes. uh, that's, that's the big thing we have to understand. If, however, it costs her $2.10 a day, then she's not getting an equal exchange. She's being swindled as well. She's being swindled as well. <laughs> and you'd have to say... You know, I mean, you know, this is so, so when we talk about things. the Seven Eleven workers, we all we should say is that they're being swindled as well, well we as being exploited. Both. Yeah, I mean, the point we really have to make about all of these cases is that everybody is being exploited. Yes, that's right. I mean, I mean, you could be paid two hundred thousand dollars a year, and you're being exploited mm. because if they weren't taking more value out of you than you were putting in, yep, they couldn't afford to employ you. You'd call it corruption. Um, you know. Yeah, yeah, that's really interesting. You'd have to go into uh, wondering how CEOs can be worth $7 million a year. That's oh, well, that's a, a that's different a very, story. That's a different that's story. A, I mean, yeah, yeah. Well, we all sat, well I, mean, I mean, you just imagine. I mean, if all the yeah. 7-Eleven workers sat around and decided how much to pay each other, yeah, exactly. then they might all get $7 million a year. Okay. Isn't swindle a great word? Hey, I mean, it's a great word, but we've got to make it clear that swindle need not happen in a capitalist society. For capitalism, an equal exchange still produces exploitation. That's the thing we've got to get clear about. Yeah, because it is so easy. I mean, and I've, I mean, I've had this discussion with people who have been active on the left for decades, and they can't get it into their heads that when they're being you know, ripped off by the boss, as the other phrase we use, that they are, not, that they are being exploited even when they're not being swindled.
that's we've right. Got to, yeah. you know, I mean, it, it's by no means easy. I mean, we are told, as we said in the beginning, over and over and over again, oh, a fair day's work for a fair day's pay is the slogan. Well, <laughs> there are real dangers in that. I mean, I mean, yes, we have to struggle for that. I mean, you know, we can't get into a situation where we allow people not to get their award. You know, we, we, we do have to struggle for that. But we're not, in struggling for that, getting the full value. Yeah. That can uh, only happen in a, in a socialist society. And that's the other bit that certainly happened to, to fall off the agenda. Thanks, Humphrey. You know, well, we, we have together. to, because we're, we, we're going to have to end off there. Thank, that was a really interesting discussion. I, I thank you for it. Um, well, yeah, and, well, yeah, the, next other, week, the other six units, oh, yeah, <coughs> sorry, sorry, my voice is going for some reason. The other six units are there <coughs> in the pamphlet. We might talk about them in the months to come. But uh, you're actually, next time you talk, you're going to talk about the effect of Capital on Australia. On from Australian politics, politics before, yeah. <coughs> before there was a Communist Party. Okay. Thanks very okay. much for, All for right, chatting before to us. We're done. Bye. Yeah, you're on Solidarity Breakfast with Annie, and we are. We have come to the end. Uh, that was Humphrey McQueen uh, educating us on the realities of, that we work within. And uh, before that, we uh, had This Is The Week That Was with Kevin Healy. Great kind of stuff. If you want to catch up with what's uh, the... Uh, the uh, Peter Norman story, uh, you should uh, tune in to NTV on Wednesday at 10pm uh, and or a repeat of the uh, Salute program, which is all about Peter Norman, put together by his nephew. Uh, it's uh, going to be repeated on Thursday at 12.30. Uh, thanks to the listener who rang to tell us about that. The Because, uh, you know, it's an important event. Uh, tell you all about a history that uh, has uh, been shrouded in uh, uh, not secrecy so much as uh, indifference, but no, it's going to be reclaimed and that's what history should be done. We should reclaim, we should celebrate the uh, great victories and the great people of the left and uh, the humanist movement. Uh, after Before that, we uh, went to the issue of uh, the go- Victorian government's de- desire to knock down a whole lot of public housing estates, uh, claiming that they're uh, in a terrible uh, states of repair and that uh, it's all going to be wonderful, it's all going to be great with this private public partnership where it's going to be redeveloped by private developers who are all going to go off with the booty. Anyway, uh, coming up next is Asia Pacific Currents. We're going to go out with This Is Not The Way Home by Cruel Sea.
directions are shown I threw up in the men's restroom You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.